for that. Amen. All right. Well, we're ready for the word here. So take your Bibles, if you would. Uh, we are in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we started this, uh, th- this series of messages, I think, in October. We started 1 John chapter 1. We go- we've been going verse by verse uh, through all the, the epistle. We're in the final chapter, and we're getting towards the end of the last chapter. Not there yet, but almost. And then, uh, Lord willing, we'll start 2 John and then 3 John after that. But So uh, 1 John 5, starting at verse number 14. I've entitled the message today, The, prayer, the Prayers of a Witness. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, the messages have been entitled, Can I Get a Witness? And it was all about the preceding verses. Well, this next section is kind of based on that section. And if we are a witness for the Lord, if we, are, if we can give a testimony for the Lord, there's a certain way that we should be praying. And this is what we're going to talk about today. But I have to say, if you were here last week, uh, verse number 7 caused some contextual problems. And we had it on the screen of the NIV version versus the uh, New King James version. And we talked about that. Well, in my studies this week, I, I got to the next section, and uh, people were saying that if you think that was hard, wait till you get to this part. That this, this section that we're in today uh, poses some theological issues and some philosophical issues as well. Um, but it is based upon verse 13, if you look in your Bible, that says that John is writing this whole thing so that you will know that you have eternal life and you'll continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And because we're doing that, we're, we're pursuing that, then verse 14 begins that we have a confidence in our prayer life. So we can't have a confidence unless we're pursuing the Lord and running after the Lord and, and being in the Word of God. So I'm going to read it. And then we're going to break it down and get into it. So 1 John 5, verse 14. And now now when I read it, try to think of what does this mean? Because it is rather complex. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, now you know that needs some explanation, right? Uh, He will ask, and the Lord will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Dear Lord, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to help uh, explain what these scriptures mean to us as followers of yours. So we ask you, Lord, uh, I I pray your anointing to be upon me as I share the things you put on my heart. I I pray, Lord, that your word will be... uh, will be received and and applied to our lives as well. And Lord, that in the process, you will be honored, you will be exalted in the preaching of your word and application of your word. And Lord, that this message would, would have deep meaning to each of us in a special way. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. I wonder uh, how many of you have heard the, uh, the expression, name it and claim it. Well, this is one of the scriptures where that comes from. And my response to that is, uh, it's, not, it's not as simple as that, and let's not go so fast in, in, in thinking that, you know, whatever we say, God's going to do, because there's a whole lot more involved in the process. So um, I want to start by, you know, you may want to write down some scriptures. We don't have a lot on the screen, but I'll be mentioning some scriptures today. One scripture is Psalm 65 in verse 2. Among other things, it says one phrase in that one verse, Psalm 65, verse 2. Oh, you who hear prayer. So we know right off the bat, the Lord hears our prayers. It's not a question of him not hearing and, and responding. He always is attentive to our cry. In fact, verses 14 to 17, uh, John is echoing some of the teachings of Jesus previously Remember, John was there when Jesus taught. He was, you know, one of the 12. And in chapter 1 of 1 John, uh, John says, That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you. So he was there to hear some things that Jesus said. So let me, 
Let me uh, refresh your memory. I'm just going to quote a couple of scriptures here. You may want to jot this down if you're if you're if you want to study it later. But in Mark 11, 22 to 24, I'm just going to take a snippet of these scriptures. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's a pretty powerful statement. Jesus said that. Whatever, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. John 14, 13 and 14 says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7 and 8 says, abide in me and let my words abide in you and you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. John 15, 16 says, um, you are called to bear fruit that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. In John 16, 24, uh, Jesus said, ask in my name and you will, you will receive. James chips in a little bit in this subject in chapter 1. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, you know. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. If he's doubting, he's like a, the wave of the sea being tossed to and fro. That man should not expect to get anything from the Lord. But let him ask in faith. So these, this passage that we're talking about, uh, as I said, there's a, some theological issues and there's some philosophical issues as well. It's a challenging passage of scripture. But this is about faith. This is about believing and trusting in God. It's about surrendering our will to his will. Because I'll tell you right up front, his will always trumps our will, no matter what we pray. So uh, I said earlier that this is written uh, based on verse 13, that uh, it's written to the church that for people that are, that are pursuing God, running after God. And, and it starts with verse 14. We have a confidence because we're running after God. We have this relationship with the Lord. And I think it's really uh, important to, to, to bring that home because we can't expect to have a confidence with God in our prayer life if we're not really living for the Lord. I mean, he'll hear us regardless, but if we want to have this relationship the the way it's supposed to go, we have to be giving ourselves to him repeatedly all the time. But anyway, last week, if you remember, we put on the screen some some parallel scriptures from the NIV and the New King James. I did some research on on the the classic uh, Amplified Bible. Anyone ever use the Amplified Bible? It's like a study Bible. And I want to put verse 14 on the screen. I want to to put it all on the screen. But we're going to look at verses 14 and 15, and then verses 16 and 17, and then make some application to this. But verse number 14, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. It says this. This is the confidence, the assurance, the, the privilege of boldness which we have in him. We are sure that if we ask anything, if we make any request according to his will, in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. I don't think any of us have a problem with that, that whatever we pray about according to his will, he hears us. And that should be reassuring to us because so I, if, if you're like me, sometimes I wonder, Lord, are you hearing me? I mean, to be honest with you, you know, we go through these times where, okay, Lord, I'm doing what I need to do, but are you hearing me? But Psalm 65, 2, oh, you who hear prayer. But I think the, the key is praying according to his will. So we have to ask the question. It's like a philosophical question. What is his will? What is his will? Well, certainly salvation is his will. Certainly moral righteousness is his will. Certainly having a heart of humility is his will. Anything with a biblical thought or a biblical principle would be his will. So we're, we're not to pray according to our selfish or self-seeking desires like, oh God, give me a lot of money or make me rich and famous or anything contrary to the spirit of the word. Of the word. We can't pray, although David did pray like this. When you read the Psalms closely, there were some Psalms when he said, Lord, the paraphrase, Lord, get them. They bother me. Get them, Lord. But he would always resolve it at the end. Well, Lord, let let your hand move, not my will. So it's one thing to say these things to the Lord, but we don't do them. We we leave it with God. But uh, we, we can't. Now, I want to go a little deeper in this. Now, if we say, Lord, this is my desire. This is what I, I want you to, to do. But we don't 
necessarily always know the bigger picture at hand. So if we pray for something to happen according to my will, and it disrupts his will in the bigger picture, our, our prayer will not be answered. Let me, let me tell you where I'm going with this. How many of us are praying about the situation in the Ukraine? Well, I'm praying, Lord, bring peace. Lord, bring, relieve the, the suffering and the, the turmoil and the, the violence and the, all the death. And, but on the other hand, as we've hear, heard on news and different ministries across the world are saying, perhaps God is putting something in place in all of this. Maybe there's a bigger picture than just what's happening. Maybe, maybe the Lord is getting ready to realign the European common market so that, as according to Daniel that we've been studying on Wednesdays, out of, those, out of that federation comes the rise of the Antichrist, which then there'll be an invasion from the north, easily come through Ukraine and, and, and over the Black Sea into Israel to, to combat or to deal with the Antichrist. Maybe that's the bigger picture. So then you have to say, is our, are our prayers, like, what, what's, what do we do with that? Well, I think we pray for both, actually. But we, we pray for God's will to be done. Just like, I mean, I was thinking about this in World War II. Six million Jews were exterminated, murdered, flat out. I mean, but out of that came the establishment of Israel in 1948 as a nation. So the question is, at what cost is God's will done? But anyway, verse number 14, I think we could accept without any problem that when we pray according to his will, he hears us. I don't think we have a, anyone have a problem with that. He hears us. Whatever we pray, you know, he hears what we say. I think verse 15 is the, is the one that gets a little bit dicey. Let me read verse 15 from the amplified version. And if, or since, we positively know that he listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we, sh- that we have granted us as our present possessions. We have the request made of him. I think this is, this is something that he, he listens when we pray according to his will and he does what we ask when we pray that way. In reality, he acts according to his greater will, not our will. Let me try to explain this. Many of us are praying for the salvation of our children, our sons and daughters. Is this God's will? Absolutely. 1 Timothy 2.4 says it's God's desire that everyone gets saved. I mean, it's flat out, obvious. So we pray for our our sons and daughters, our, our whatever, family, to, to come to the Lord and to get saved. And, and then they're not. So then you have to say, well, why not? And then you come to a place where you say, well, can't God change a person's heart? Yeah, God could change a person's heart. But God has given every one of us and every one of them a free will. So we're not robots where he's going to say, click, now you're a Christian. It's a decision that one must make. So what's happening? So parents and families pray for their loved ones to come to the Lord. And and what's happening in the process? It could be a year. It could be five years. It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years, 30 years. It could be a lifetime. They may die without seeing the result of their prayer. But what's what's going on there? Well, among other things, that need is keeping those people on their knees in a tight relationship with the Lord because the Lord is their only hope for their sons and their daughters. Is that the greater good? Perhaps at the moment it is. Ultimately, we trust God that those sons and daughters will come to know him. Now, John already addressed this, actually. If you want to look back in chapter 3, you may remember a few weeks ago. John 3.21. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us... Well, let me read verse 20. If our heart condemns us... God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Remember that one? Verse 21, uh, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, now I'm thinking, okay, so the Lord answering my prayer is contingent upon the fact of if if I'm obeying the commandments and doing the right thing. But who does that all the time? 
I have my time, yeah, but all the time? None of us keep all the commandments. None of us keep all the the things in the Word of God. We don't all do the right thing all the time. That's why we need a Savior. So we have to think, what's going on here? What is his greater will? And I think one lesson we could learn is from Jesus' example in Luke chapter 22. You know the story. They had the Last Supper. They broke bread. They sang. They went out to the garden to pray. Jesus was praying. You know what he prayed? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. In other words, Father, I know I'm called to do this. If there's any way we could get around this, please take this cup from me. That was Jesus' heart. Is there another plan? And so what did the Father do? The Father, you know what happened next in that, in that, in that passage? The Father heard Jesus, obviously. The next thing that happened was an angel came to strengthen Jesus. You know what happened next? He was praying so fervently, he sweated with drops of blood. You know what happened next? He got arrested, got betrayed, arrested, led off to the trial, scourged, beaten, everything, and put on the cross the next day. The Father's will was done. But Jesus' will, his heart was, if there's another way. But he yielded to the greater will of the Father. And that's, that is so commendable and something that we need to incorporate in our prayer lives as well. The key to all this is to seek the heart of God, to surrender to that. Keep trusting, keep believing, keep abiding, keep resting in God. And it's, it's, sometimes it takes everything within our spirit to do that because we don't like what we see. I would say... Keep it spiritual. We can't get emotional. Although David got emotional. Lord, why? Lord, I don't understand. Uh, Have we been there? I've been there, I have to tell you. But if we keep it spiritual, if, if we keep ourselves fresh, and we keep ourselves in the love of God, in spite of what we don't see happening, we'll be encouraged to press on. And to see the greater plan of God unfolding. So verses 14 and 15, in my mind, in my heart, we're we're called to pray. We're we're God's people. We pray. He hears us. We're called to seek his will and to have faith that whatever happens afterwards is going to be his will. Now, verses 16 and 17, if you get into this, they kind of come out of left field, if you ask me. God bless you. (laughs) So as verse 13 gives context to verses 14 and 15, stay with me here. Verse, verses 16 and, uh, verses, uh, 16 and 17 give context to verses 14 and 15. Because in verses 16 and 17, we're learning what they're praying about. So it kind of narrows down verses 14 and 15 that, well, whatever you pray about, yeah, but in this passage, they're praying about someone's salvation. But this needs to be explained. So back to the Amplified. Let me see if I could pull this up. Verse 16. So after verses 14 and 15. Verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother, a believer, committing a sin that does not lead to death, the extinguishing of life, that needs to be talked about. He will pray and God will give him life. Yes, he will grant life to all those whose sin is not one leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Wow. So in the context of those four verses, we have a whole, we have a whole <laughs> truckload of information that we need to straighten out. So again... This is written based on verse 13 to to people, believers that are pressing in, you know, seeking God and and believing in the name of Jesus. In verse 14, we have a confidence that we're talking to God. He hears us and acts on our behalf. But in the context, verse 16, here it is. A brother is committing a sin. A, A fellow believer is committing a sin. But I have to raise the question that we all sin. So this is more like an obvious situation. I mean, who knows what's going on in our mind or in our heart? Only God knows. 
what our what our sins are. But but in this in this case, okay, a, a brother, you, you see a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death. Okay, what what does that mean? Well, it, it tells us that we as believers sometimes commit sins that don't lead to death, although there's potential that it could lead to death. So some sin leads to death, other sin doesn't lead to death. So all sin does lead to spiritual death, however, but it can be stopped, it could be nipped, it could be, it could be hindered from progressing more. That's why John said in 1 John 1 9, if you sin, confess, confess it to the Lord. Get it out of the way, get it done, and the Lord will forgive you and cleanse you and you know heal you. So the premise here: a believer sins. Uh, not le- a sin not leading to death. We'll talk about that in a minute. Christians pray for him or her, and, and God will grant life to that person. In other words, God will restore that person to or renew that person to good spiritual health once again. So he'll bring back that person into good standing with God. So this is for the spiritually weak brother or sister that needs the prayers of the church. So what do we get out of that? We should all be praying for one another. I mean, if you know something that's going on with someone, don't judge anybody. Pray for them. And just pray for anyone, pray for everyone anyway, because we don't know what's going on. Romans 8.13 says this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, not, that's an interesting. He's writing to the church. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we're all in this quagmire of dealing with our flesh, are are we not? I mean, come on. We're all dealing with stuff, whether it's pride, anger, lust, whatever it is, we're dealing with stuff. But we bring it to the Lord and we pray for one another and the Lord gives us life all the time. That's where we should be living. And, And so John goes on in verse 16, as opposed to someone who commits sin leading to death. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's willful, repeated, deliberate rebelliousness against God, against the word of God, against the church. There may be people like that that have no regard for things like, say, the spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 or the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. No concept, no, no pursuit of obedience or humility, and they forfeit salvation. This is why I say this is a theological uh, passage, because there are people on both sides of the coin. Once saved, you're always saved. No matter what you do, you can't lose your salvation. But a passage like this says, well, there's a sin that leads to death. And if you put this with Colossians 1, where, where Paul writes to the church there that you know, we've been redeemed by the blood and we're, we're strong in the Lord and doing all these great things, if we continue in the faith, and if we don't continue in the faith, we put our spiritual life in jeopardy and we could die. So I realize there, there are two sides to that coin. Some believe once saved, always saved. Others believe you could lose it all the time. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. God's not easy to let you go, but if you want to let go of God, he's going to let you go. So the result here in verse 16, if you look in your Bible, is a spiritual death. And then he says something really interesting at the end of verse 16. He says, I'm not saying, I, I, I don't say to pray about that one. Well, wait a minute. You, you don't even pray for that one? Well, he's too far gone, so don't pray about him. I had to really think about that. So I thought, Lord, help me here. And two scriptures came to mind. And I know that you know them both. One is in 1 Corinthians 5. The issue was sexual immorality in the church. And Paul was coming to visit. He wrote them a letter. He said, what's going on? I hear about, hear about this stuff. He said, you know what? To paraphrase, I'm really upset. God's really upset. Get that person and deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, don't even pray for him. Kick him out. Get him out. Release him to Satan. Another example is in uh, 1 Timothy uh, 1, verse 20, where Paul says... Uh, I've delivered uh, uh, Alexander and Hermonitis over to Satan uh, that they would learn how to not blaspheme the name of the Lord. He released them to Satan. 
Well, that's a pretty heavy statement. But in the first example is kind of resolved in 2 Corinthians 2, where Paul says, now that that person has done what he did and repented and made things right, receive him back. So we always have to pray for a prodigal son story, that the one who goes off and does his thing, we release him, but hopefully they'll wake up and come back. And when they do, we need to receive them and, and help them in their, in their life, in their spiritual walk. I, I find it interesting that John doesn't say He says, I do not say that he should pray about that. But he doesn't specifically say not to pray. So I think there's some leeway here. I would say, like I, there's people in my life that knew the truth, that know the truth and walked away from the truth. Do I pray for them? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I know they have to decide, but I pray for circumstances to change. I pray for people to come into their life that could talk to them. Maybe they won't hear me, but other people they might hear. So I, I do keep it in prayer. I mean, John doesn't say not to pray, so I, I keep it, you know, in that way. So then, so verse 17 comes, and then he says, all unrighteousness is sin. Well, we know that. I mean, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. And there is sin not leading to death. He's like reemphasizing this part of it. Which, I don't know, that kind of that makes me think, what is he saying? I think he's saying that we all have sin, and we're all going to fail. But when we fail, we have to repent and get up and get back on with our walk with God. If we don't, we put ourselves in jeopardy of falling away and, 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 and having sin that does lead into spiritual death. So some, ser- some sin is more serious than us. So let me, let me talk about this. So the less serious sin of the believer, well, let's say, uh, not leading to spiritual death. Okay, well, say you steal something at work. Say you have a a lustful moment and you dabble in pornography. Let's say you have a flirtatious relationship with someone other than your wife at your workplace. Well, you know, 1 John 1, 9, confess it, repent, and get on with God. It won't lead to death if you nip it right then and there. And so I don't know how specific I need to get, but we all deal with different things. And none of us are walking on water, hello, to be honest with you. You know, we have a goal. I don't see anyone walking on water. But the serious sin does lead to a spiritual death. And I want to I clarify, all sin, you can't sugarcoat sin. I, I'm not saying that. He's not saying that. But there's some sin that you just nip it and take care of it and you get on with your life. There's other sin. If you don't do that, it, it gets in you. It could own you. And that's when there's a problem. That's why this passage is so important. When you see someone failing in their Christian life, please don't criticize them. Pray for them. Oh, do you hear about brother so-and-so? No, don't do that. Pray. But also when you pray, the prayer time doesn't have to be a gossip time in the prayer. Oh, Lord, help brother so-and-so who did blah, 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 blah. No, no, that's not for public consumption. Just pray for people. That's why this is in here. Pray for people. Don't criticize and... But then there's the sin that leads to death. You know, I have to talk about this. Purposeful rebellion against God, against the word, against the church. Consistent, ongoing, a freight train out of control. Letting go of God. No repentance, no altar, no tears, no sorrow. Just pride and arrogance and maybe bitterness toward God or toward people in the church. No quiet time. No time to be pensive and to wait on the Lord. No repentance, no conviction. They're beyond all of that. Numbers 15.31 says this. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Yikes. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 talks about the works of the flesh. Paul says they're evident. It's obvious. Just to paraphrase and to simplify. Sexual sin, idolatry, hatred, drunkenness, revelry. He says, I already told you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now you have a case where maybe... Within a, 
within the body of Christ, there are some people that practice these things and just kind of sweep it under the carpet and don't deal with it. And what he's saying is those sins will kill you your spiritual life. You may look okay, but you're not okay. If you want to be okay, have people pray for you, be repented, be humble before God, and get this a deal with the sin. So, less serious sins could lead to a spiritual death if they're not addressed. So let me let's talk about this for just a minute. Anger. I'm not going to ask anyone if you have an anger problem, because we all probably have it in some degree. But the scripture says, be angry and sin not. So anger in and of itself is not sinful if it's handled properly. It could be a great motivational force to make change. But unbridled, uncontrolled anger in a family uh, is a recipe for disaster. It could destroy a home. If anger rules in the heart, that heart needs to be redeemed. Absolutely. So is anger right off, like, like one time you're angry, will that, will that destroy your spiritual life? No, but if it's left undealt with and it becomes a pattern for whatever, 25, 30 years, there's an issue there. Absolutely there's an issue. Same thing you could say about lust. Well, you know, the heart is wicked. The heart is evil. So there's always some thought. I mean, not always, but a lot of times there is. But So someone says, well, I'm just going to lust a little bit. I'm just going to look at a little bit of pornography. I want to be a little bit flirtatious with someone. That mindset, you're opening up the door to a disaster waiting to happen. That could get you, that could control you and, and warp your whole view of marriage and life and sexuality and everything else. Just like, like drinking, you know, I, I thought, I said, Lord, should I even bring this up? In the ch- I know there's, there's Christians that drink. I get that. Is, is drinking a sin? Well, uh, you know, one scripture says if, if something's a sin to you, then it's a sin. Well, drinking to me is, I think, a sin. I, I don't drink. I mean, could I drink? Would, I, would it keep me from going to heaven? No. But I don't drink. So if people drink, okay, drunkenness is another story. Drunkenness is absolutely off the table. There's no debate about that. But I never knew a, a drunken person who never had one drink in the first place. So I'm saying, you know, whatever, you have to, you have to, you have to just nip that thing before it gets out of hand. Now, uh, now, I'm coming from a place where being in the ministry for so long, I've seen close up what happens with alcohol. I've seen homes devastated by alcohol. I've seen homes devastated by lust and sexual immorality and anger. I've seen all of that. So if you talk to me, I'm coming from a different place. I I know what that's like. Not to mention my previous life, I was involved in many of those things anyway. I was delivered, praise God. So these sins of the flesh that that won't lead to death initially, they could absolutely turn and own you. And then your spiritual life is going down. And that's the problem. So, with all of that, I want to give you three things to think about. The prayers of a witness. Now, we're talking about witnesses. Christians that have a story to tell. I've got a story to tell. You've got a testimony. You've got a word to share with someone. You could tell someone your story, your life story. You know, I was once this way. Jesus came in. He delivered me. He saved me. He changed my life. Well, you're a witness. So the prayers of a witness are a little different than just generic prayers that people may pray to God. The first thing is this. I'm going to be kind of simple here. Christians pray and God hears. We just need to understand. Isn't that refreshing to you? Just to hear that, it's refreshing to me, and I'm saying it. <laughs> but just to be reminded that God hears our prayers. Does he always do what we say? No, no, no. But he hears us. Again, Psalm 65, 2, O you who hear prayer. From the very beginning of time, in Genesis 3, we have this little picture of, of, the, of the nature and character of the Lord. Coming, looking for Adam in the cool of the day. Adam, hey Adam, 
I just want to have a little fellowship with you. I just want to hang out with you a little bit. I want to have, you know, I want to have some rapport with you. Where was Adam? Over the, over in the bushes hiding because he had sinned. But the nature of God is revealed. He wants fellowship with us. So of course he hears us when we cry out to him. It's his nature to hear us. Pamela spoke on the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago. Excellent word on, on how Jesus taught us how to pray. I hope you got the outline in the email. I hope some of you are using that. That's how to pray. Paul said, pray without ceasing. He said, pray with thanksgiving. And here John is saying, pray with discernment and direction and pray with faith. So, and we need to pray for one another. Listen, we need to pray for one another. Let me say it again. We need to pray for one another. You may not know what's going on. You may think, oh, that person was kind of rude today. You have no clue what that person's dealing with at home or work or their money or whatever, their health. You don't know. They may not be feeling the most conversational on a given day for other reasons besides you. You see, it's not about you. It's about them. Genesis 4, 26. I love this little one little scripture. Here it is. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And they had another son named Seth down the line. Seth had a son named Enosh. And the scripture says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. As a witness, we need to faithfully call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we do. We we talk to God. We call upon the Lord. He hears us. And he, you know, he responds. We'll get to that in a second. But our role, we, we pray and God hears. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a place to pray at, find a, create a, a space that's your prayer closet. A room, maybe your car on the way to work, whatever. Somewhere you can go to spend time with God every day and just read, pray, meditate, just get alone with God and make it part of your routine, like brushing your teeth in the morning, which... I hope everyone does. (laughs) Here's number two. As the prayers of a witness, we we seek God's will, not our will. But the thing is, we don't know God's will until we spend time with him. We may think we have the heart of God, but until we get alone with God and spend time, and I don't mean mean jumping up and down, and and maybe, but not necessarily. I just mean getting alone with God and meditating on the word. Just sit quiet before God. You know, just sit quiet. Some of my best times would be in the morning, like early. I'd be sitting over there all by myself, just, just kind of just reading and thinking and meditating and resting in God. That's how he speaks. But we have to be in that position to hear his voice. So we seek God's will. We don't seek our own will. We need to... Um, be in his word, meditate. We need to be thinking about the things of God. We need to know God's heart. We need to, to know God's history, how he does things. I mean, there's a pattern in how God does things. If you, get, if you know all the stories and you see how God moves, you, you, you begin to see a pattern of, of the way God responds to things. We need to know his ways. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first your will. No. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things that you're so concerned about will be added to you. Like Jesus prayed that day in the garden, maybe the Father would send an angel to us. Maybe he would send people our way to kind of help us along with whatever we're dealing with. Maybe things will happen that, you know, kind of create an atmosphere where, where we know God's hearing my prayer. Not exactly the answer I want, but I, I see God's hand at work in it. In fact, after the early service this morning, a gentleman came up to me and he said, you know, he said, uh, we had prayed, I prayed with him a couple of weeks ago about his business. He said, you know, ever since that time, things have been happening. Not, not exactly, but things were in motion. I like that. We pray, and God puts things in motion. It may not be the ultimate answer we want, but things are happening in that way. 
going back to praying for a loved one. Maybe they're not saved yet, but maybe they're starting to think about God. Maybe they're starting to listen to Christian radio. Maybe God's sending a Christian to their workplace to, to get into their ear and into their heart. We don't know, but, but we begin to we see God's will and we accept God's will. And the third one, real quickly, is to trust him with the results of our prayer. I think a, a mature believer has gotten to the place where I've done all I can do. I'm resting in God now. For me, that was a hard place to get to regarding some things I'm concerned about. But what, what are you going to do? You pray and you give it to God and you go on with your life. You have to. But that's a, that's a level of faith that we have to aspire to. So I, I thought the best way to explain number three here is to, is to read you some scriptures. So if you want to write these down, write them down. If not, I'll give them to you later. But Psalm 9, verse 10 says this. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What a great verse. Those who know your name. Do you know his name, by the way? You know, we, we praise his name. We know his name. We put, our, we put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Psalm 112, verse 7. Those who fear the Lord, his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in in man. Amen. So the prayers of a witness. I hope this helps us have a little focus now that we we pray knowing that God hears. We pray according to God's will, not our will, and we trust him with the results. Can we stand together? I want to read Matthew 6:33 as we close out today. Hallelujah. I have to confess, when I first read that passage this week, I said, oh, Lord, you have to help me with this one. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. There's a complexity to it. But God is certainly able to present it to us in a way that we could understand. Every head bowed for just a moment before we go. Um, The prayers of a witness... Let me start at the beginning. Is there anybody here this morning that feels like you, you, need to, you need to become a witness? You need to receive Christ, live for Christ, get your priorities in order. Anyone like that? Just humbly, Lord, that's me. I need to get my life together with you. Anyone like that? Okay. And then secondly, in the context of this passage, does anyone have loved ones that you're praying for. They're they're not Christians. They know all about it, but they have not surrendered and it's breaking your heart. But think I was breaking the Lord, so I want to pray about that. And then the third part is, we're just going to take a minute to pray for one another because we don't know who's in sin, who's whatever. We don't know know everyone's story here. And, And not that we need to know, really. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for your word today. And I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room, everyone on live stream, to put in our mind and heart, you have called us to be a witness. Lord, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood, you've called us to be a witness for you in these troubled days. Help us, Lord, to live our lives and let our light shine into the dark world in which we live. I love the analogy that was shared by one of the kids this morning, that we're in a box and and you want us out of the box into the world around us and and, and heaven is there and the light is there. 
Lord, help us to get out of the box to let our light shine today. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to pray with anyone and, and just a prayer. Lord, we, we receive you today. We renew our walk with you. We renew our life with you. We confess our sins, oh God. We repent. We turn from sin and turn to you to the cross and say, oh God, forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, fix me again, Lord, today in the name of Jesus. Father, for any one of us that has children or loved ones that know the story of the cross, they could recite it backwards and frontwards. They know all about the word. They know, they know the story, but they've rejected the story. Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. We pray, Lord, for circumstances to change, that you would send helpers along the way to speak their language into their heart. We pray, Lord, that maybe through life experiences, maybe hardships or blessing, whatever, that they would have that wake-up call and turn to you and help our heart to be ready to receive them when it happens. And Lord, finally, for anyone in the body of Christ that's caught up in sin, not leading to death, but caught up in sin, we just surrender everything to you, Lord. We pray for one another. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us today. Let us leave that baggage here at the altar. Let us walk out of here liberated and free in the name of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Can we say Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. When I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces and put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. Let's sing it again. Come on. When I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces. You put me back together. You are the did was pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All I did was worship. Yes, Lord. All I did was bow down. Oh, Lord. All I did was Spirit of the living God. Can we sing hallelujah right here?
did was worship. Ah, Jesus. All I did was bow. Hallelujah. All I did was stay still. Yes. All I did was stay did was stay still. Okay, I'm going to close out in prayer. Brother Doug, if you could just keep playing. The altars are open. There's some new Christians here today. But I have to tell you, there's more healing that comes during times like these than 10 years of counseling with a psychiatrist or a pastor. This is where it happens. He's our defender. If you're new to the faith, I I encourage you, yield yourself to that. Mm. Wait on the Lord. Trust the Lord. So I'm going to say a prayer. If you got to go, God bless you. If you could stay and linger in the afterglow, feel free to do that. Father, thank you, Lord, for a good day. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is amazing. Help us to live in those passages with an understanding that you have the greater will, the greater plan in your heart. Help us to get to that place, oh God. But we leave it all with you, Lord. We we thank you for a new life in Christ. Thank you for a rejuvenation in Christ. Thank you for our salvation. Lord, may your blessing be upon us as we make our way home. Let us have a good day and a good week. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So God bless you. Uh, If you want to stay and have prayer time, please. And so if there's fellowship, keep it in the back or in the foyers and let the altar time be kind of special for those that need it today. Amen.